The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Another episode of How Bizarre. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Chavez, joined by my lovely wife, Erin Chavez. And we're back after a bit of a hiatus. We're a few weeks late. Yeah, not well, kind of unplanned and not not kind of unplanned and somewhat planned. But the plan it was just unplanned. The planned was not (laughs) supposed to uh, affect the show, so that's unplanned. We planned on getting out of the country. We oh. went out of the country. For two days. That does not count. <laughs> it's going out of the country, though. And that's going out of the country when we could have recorded. Um, and as Johnny said on, on Facebook, you know, he's been kind of under the weather himself when we were getting ready to record. So uh, we did release a special episode that was supposed to be a part of a series. But you know what? We decided we're just going to re- uh, release those special episodes throughout the year. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. It is the... Uh, the dark side of the network where we interview different hosts on different podcasts of the network and see what it is that scares them, what gives them the creeps. And we talk about their personal experiences with the paranormal and the weird. Uh, the first episode is Anthony Mullen and we got actually some good, good reviews. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to it yet. No, I'm sure it's over the top dramatic though. <laughs> oh my God. I was so scared once I heard a noise and I didn't know what it was. So Aaron knows uh, Anthony very well. He's over all the time. So um, that's very warranted. Uh, but yes, no, uh, you know, it was actually a really good uh, interview. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, check it out. But this is how bizarre. This is where we talk about the more bizarre kind of not too creepy, not too paranormal parts right. of our history and or what's going on in the world. So uh do we have any any current ones? Do we have any now now that's bizarre? I don't have any. Now that's bizarre. No, that was that's odd. Now that's odd. Now now how bizarre? What, what is it? Now's bizarre. <laughs> what's what's the one we do? I, I can't don't even remember. remember. Good lord. It's now that's bizarre Creepers. or something. Is it? That was ours because it played on How Bizarre. Oh, like okay. Now Bizarre. I don't know. I see. Maybe. I can't remember, dude. Who it's knows? been a long time since we did this show. Yeah. Or this version of the show. Yeah. We both come with stories, the same as that side, or I mean, yeah, that side in history mm-hmm. creeps. Mm-hmm. And um, we try to out-bizarre each other. <laughs> Is that what we're trying to do? Damn Not it. Really. I've been screwing this up. I was going to say, you've been beating me, dude. The stuff you've been bringing has been real good. And you're not you're not too confident. Today's, though, you're like, eh, it's kind of like, uh, it's going to be short. I'm like, it's okay. Mine's kind of long. That's what she said. <laughs> um, what do you got? Okay. So I know you've done a show before, stories before about people or kids or different people who think they've been reincarnated. Oh, yes. I think that, that was my, one of my last How Bizarres, I think, was, was, was that kid that thought he was Princess Di. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was part of the stories that we did, yeah, the yeah, weird yeah. stories. But you also did a special before where you talked a lot about different ones. Yes, yes. That was a while ago. But I don't think you've ever done one that where they weren't from Earth, correct? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, I To be honest, I can't remember. But this sounds completely like I've never heard this before. So let me listen to this. Okay. 
So Boris, bear with me. I'm going to pull a Johnny here. Kippa Yanopikich. <laughs> okay. Terrible, but you get the idea. It's a lot of consonants. Was born in 1996 in Russia. It wasn't long before his parents figured out that this was not a normal baby. Oh. Just two weeks old, supposedly, he was already able to hold his head up without support. I think normal babies take a lot longer. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> they made it seem like that was exceptional. I don't remember what it was like when I was that little, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> he started speaking at two months old. By the age of one and a half, he was able to read, draw, and paint. Boriska, which was his nickname, began kindergarten at the age of two, and his teachers quickly noticed his extraordinary language skills and memory. Bariska always knew many details about the universe, including planets, stars, constellations, even though his parents claimed they never talked about space. His parents stated that space quickly became his number one interest. At age seven, Bariska told his parents that he was from Mars and had come to save the world. Really? I this does sound a little familiar. I don't know if I've read something about this before, but I don't know that I've gone this in depth with this kind of stuff. Like I don't know some of it. Let know. me hear this. He said that in his previous life he lived on Mars. He was reborn on Earth along with others known as indigo children, which we'll talk more on that. That's indigo a, that's children. a more common phrase. Okay. No one has ever taught him. Sometimes he would sit in a lotus position and start telling us detailed facts about Mars, planetary systems, and other civilizations, his mother said. When we showed our boy to a variety of scientists, including ufologists, astronomers, and historians, all of them agreed that it would be impossible to make all of these stories up. In other words, Boris knew space at a level that baffled experts. As a child. That's cool. I could see this as an X-Files video uh, episode already. I, it like him sitting was. in a room like doing all this stuff and like yeah. all these scientists around him going like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell, dude? That's crazy. As a teenager, he was interviewed and talked more about his previous life, providing more details. Boris stated that Mars... Oh, real quick. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you. So, so he keeps remembering. Because yeah. a lot of these kids, when they have these no, other life I, like still... memories... He's still obviously young. He was born in 96 and he's still. Yeah. Like they usually, this. as they grow up, they stay, they start to fade, it fades away. Oh, it's almost no. like it fades off. Yeah, no. Okay. Let me hear this. So when he was a teenager and he was interviewed, he stated that Mars residents stopped aging at 35, which is a benefit of breathing carbon dioxide. They are also quite tall and have really advanced technology that led to interstellar travel. I remember that time when I was 14 or 15 years old, Boris recounts of his previous life. The Martians were waging wars, so I would often have to participate in air raids with a friend of mine. We could travel in time and space, flying in round spaceships, but we would observe life on Earth in a triangular aircraft. Martian spaceships are very complicated. They are layered, and they can fly all across the universe. This technology, though, led to their downfall. Boris reports that his own race of Martians were virtually wiped out by a nuclear conflict thousands of years ago, and he fears Earth is heading in the same direction. He reports that the survivors of the conflict on Mars were sent to Earth as the indigo children to save humanity and all have supernatural abilities. Oh, I think it indigo- feels like an X-Files thing or something. I think well, that's why done, I they've know done indigo, indigo children, children on, right? They've done it on X-Files. Okay, so indigo that's children why this is, is familiar is to me. a concept that's been around since the 70s. Okay, this is why I've heard of indigo yeah, children. Yeah. Okay, okay. So it is kind of, it's a new age concept that's been around since the 70s. So it's interesting it's that so he cool. referred to himself as yeah. the same thing. Okay. 
<clears throat> Indigo children are believed to possess special, unusual, and sometimes supernatural traits. This concept became more popular in the late 90s with the publication of series of books and films in the next decade. The in interpretations of these beliefs range from being the next stage in human evolution, in some cases possessing paranormal abilities such as telepathy, to the belief that they are more empathetic and creative than their peers. So hmm. people have all different ideas of what this actually means. I think indigo I'm children. an indigo child. Yeah, me too. We all are. <laughs> no scientific studies give credibility <laughs> to the existence of indigo children or their traits. Okay. Boris also claims that there is still an alien civilization on Mars, despite the nuclear catastrophe in the past. Bariska said there were a few survivors because they built shelter and created new weapons. Boris also shared some fascinating details about Earth that Fox Mulder must love. <laughs> I already okay. wrote in something about Fox. <laughs> he claims there's a lot more to be discovered on Earth, pointing to the Great Pyramid of Giza. The human life will change when the sphinx, sphinx is open. It has an opening mechanism somewhere behind the ear. I do not remember exactly, claims <gasps> Bariska. Has anyone ever tried to look for it? Isn't that amazing? Has anyone tried to look for that? I'm going to look that up real quick. They, uh, I mean, nobody's found it. But in 2017, experts made a startling discovery about the Great Pyramid. Using cosmic ray-based imaging, scientists discovered a 100-foot-long void in the heart of the pyramid just above the Grand Gallery. I saw, I saw no that. No one knows what is in the void. Yeah, I saw that. During one particular interview when Boris was 11, he was asked about his opinion of humans. He answered calmly that he preferred not to speak bad about people. <laughs> <laughs> Bor That's awesome. That sounds like an alien, right? Yeah. Boris is now almost 24 years old, and as far as I can tell, he's still pretty sure he's from Mars and that humans are going to destroy each other. He isn't wrong about the fate of humanity, I'm sure about that. But whether he's from Mars or not is another matter. Dude. Isn't that crazy? That is awesome. So, like, the last, like, real stuff you can find is that interview he did when he was a teenager. There's nothing really recent. Uh when, when did we land the rover on Mars? You're asking the wrong person. I want to look this up. The Mars rover, real quick. It says that we landed it in 2012. Was that it? I was no. going to say, it's been kind of recent. We've had Mars missions in 1971. Because um, I want to know, when did we start to know that the surface was as basically barren as it is how did he get that information because that really does hold up if you start to think about a, a nuclear thing from way back in the day you know right, what i mean right. that's crazy and if there's still and they, that's the part of the thoughts too is that there might be a civilization under the surface of of mars yeah dude and like some experts have watched just say he just seems like a very intelligent boy. They don't think anything else. At two years old, three years old, yeah. four years old, you're saying this, five years old, you're saying this shit. Is it an intelligent boy? Yeah, he said the way it came out, I think, he, I don't know, he was four or something, five, and his parents were having a dinner party. No, I seven. That's what it was. His parents were having a dinner party and suddenly he came out and said, like I got to tell you guys something. <laughs> you're going to die up there. <laughs> Remember that shit? Yeah. He starts pissing on the ground. So it's crazy. Holy cow. That's a cool story. I had heard about the Indigo children so when you said it i'm thinking man did i just like gloss over this story also no, as part no. of a, a, a thing on history creeps or something yeah. that's odd something like that no very separate yeah the indigo children are something like new agers yeah i didn't i didn't cover this but when you started saying the indigo i was like yeah i've heard this i don't know that's crazy right that's so really, from really Mars. Cool. okay mine's a little different 
mine, <laughs> mine's a little longer because I'm going to actually read the article. I, you know, I, what we've been doing with our shows, uh, for this show is we've been like, you know, researching and then writing our own prose, our own things to read, uh, for this show. But this one is written so well by, uh, Sarah McDermott. This was written in February, 2018. Um, so, oh, actually 20, February 22nd, 2018. So literally, uh, two years ago in one day. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay. Uh, this is on BBC.com. This is what, so originally what caught me with this title was, uh, or what caught me to read this was the title. It just said, The Story of a Weird World I Was Warned Never to Tell. Yeah, like, that's a what? great Okay, title. let me read this. You ready? Mm-hmm. Pauline Dakin's childhood in Canada in the 1970s was full of secrets, disruption, and unpleasant surprises. She wasn't allowed to talk about her family life with anyone, and it wasn't until she was 23 that she was told why. Mm, intriguing. There was always something unusual about Pauline Dakin's family. Uh, Pauline Dakin's family. Quote, she says, my brother and I would, what do you, would say, what do you think is wrong with our family? Why are we so weird? <laughs> but that was the mystery that just didn't get answered. Pauline's parents, Warren and Ruth, had separated when she was five, the summer before she started school. Warren, a successful businessman, was a heavy drinker who had become violent, and, uh, and a point came when Ruth just couldn't take it anymore. When Pauline was seven, Ruth took the children on holiday to Winnipeg, more than a thousand miles from their home in Vancouver. But when they arrived, Ruth told them they were never going back. Uh, there was no opportunity to say goodbye. It was just this abrupt severing of relationships, Pauline says. Mm. When she asked her mother why she had done this, there was never a good explanation. She would only say, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. When you're older, I will tell you. <laughs> the Wait. same thing happened again four years later. Oh. This time, the family moved to New Brunswick on Canada's eastern coast. Apart from this life... Uh, uh, sorry, apart from this, life was quite normal for Pauline's family. They'd start again and build a new life in a new town. But below the surface, Pauline was confused, anxious, and falling into depression. I knew something bad was happening, she says. I didn't know what it was, but there was always a sense of something dire that was unspoken. By the time Pauline was 11, she attended six different schools in nearly as many years and had lost touch with her real father. But another man had come into the family's life, a church minister named Stan Sears. Pauline's mother had met Stan at a support group for the families of alcoholics. Stan was a counselor there, and Ruth had gone to him when she was struggling with Warren's drinking and preparing to leave him. Hmm. Both times that Pauline's family had disappeared, Stan's family had moved in lockstep with them. So whatever had been going on the way uh, on, they were part of it. I knew that, Pauline says. Once in New Brunswick, they put down roots. In 1988, at the age of 23, Pauline had graduated from the university and was working on a local newspaper in the city of St. John when her mother telephoned with an unexpected proposal. She said, okay, I'm ready to explain all these strange things that have happened throughout your life. <laughs> Pauline was to meet her mother outside a motel halfway between the two cities they were living in. Even weirder. When she arrived, Ruth slipped a note and an empty envelope into Pauline's hands. The note read, Don't say anything. Take your jewelry off. Put it in the envelope. I'll explain. Just don't talk. It was just the most bizarre thing, Pauline remembers. I thought, who are you? What are you doing? But I did what she told me. 
Her mother took her to a motel room where Pauline was surprised to find Stan Sears waiting for them. Stan and Ruth both told Pauline that for the past 16 years, they had been on the run from the mafia and that Pauline's family had been targeted because of her father, Warren. He had been involved in organized crime. She couldn't wear her jewelry because it needed to be tested for bugs. It was unbelievable, Pauline <laughs> says, but I remembered a feeling of terror coming over me that it might be something we could never escape. Stan explained that it had all started after he had counseled a mafia kingpin who wanted to turn his back on his criminal past. When the mob discovered that the man had broken his code of silence and come to stand for counseling, they had assassinated him and had then come after Stan, thinking he probably knew too much. Later, when Ruth, the embittered ex-wife of a mobster, had started working as a secretary at Stan's church, she too had become a target. That seems a little too coincidental there. I was then told that each of us had somebody following us, keeping an eye on us from a distance, Pauline said, and that there had been many attempts on either kidnap, poison, or kill me, but that these agents had intervened to keep me safe many times over the years. <laughs> as well as this government-sanctioned task force, Stan also explained that there were shadowy communities, towns, or villages in different parts of the country where people who had been targeted by the mafia could go in protective custody. This was known as the, quote, weird world. After years on the run, Pauline's mother said that she was going to go inside for protection. She was going to disappear again. Stan was already living in one of these communities called Place of Hope. He said, but his wife hadn't, uh, hadn't wanted to go inside with him, so he was now living there alone and working in this weird world with its agents. Stan and Ruth told Pauline that this was their chance to finally be together. They had been in love for many years, but they had never been able to act on their feelings. Pauline was in shock. It was too much to take in. I was sick with fear and sadness, and it just felt like life was shattering all around me, she says. Pauline spent that weekend listening to Stan and Ruth's stories, which explained many of the odd things that had happened while she was growing up, like the time she had come home to find her mother throwing away all the food from their fridge. The story at the time was that the food had gone bad, but I remember thinking ketchup and mustard don't go bad. There are things in there that don't go bad quickly. Why would you do that? Stan explained that they had received word that somebody was trying to poison them, so everything had to be thrown away. And there was the time that the family had gone hiking in the middle of the school week and stayed overnight in a mountain cabin. People had been coming after them, Stan explained, and they had to get away for a day or two. Then there was the day the family had skipped school to go bowling, and the time the children had come home from school and been rushed through the house, told to scrub their feet in the bath and made to wear plastic bags over their socks for the rest of the day. There was a sinister reason for all of these strange episodes. As unbelievable as, unbelievable as it sounds, there were all these explanations that made pieces that had been so troubling fall into some kind of pattern, a narrative, Pauline says. I got a different narrative. <laughs> well, yeah, I want to hear that. When it was time for Pauline to leave, Stan, uh, to leave, Stan asked if he could put a transmitter on her car to make it easier for the good guys to follow her and make sure she was safe. He also gave her a small transistor radio that he said had a broadcast function so that Pauline could send a call for help. He warned me, only use it if your life is in real danger because people will respond and put their life on the line for you. Pauline returned to the home she was renovating with her boyfriend, her then boyfriend, and to her job in the newsroom, but she was struggling to come to terms with what she'd been told and growing more and more fearful by the day. 
She was constantly looking over her shoulder for people or cars that might be following her and became too scared to eat at restaurants in case somebody tried to slip something into her food. She planned escape routes from inside her own home and assumed that her telephone line was bugged. Over time, more and more alarming information came from Stan and Ruth about the weird world, including the news that many people they knew weren't really people they seemed to be. The story was that some people who had been around us during my childhood who were involved with organized crime had been picked up, arrested, killed, or otherwise disappeared, and then replaced with doubles. Uh, now it's even more ridiculous. Sometimes the double was put in place by the good guys, and sometimes the double was put in place by the bad guys, so you were never 100% sure who the double is or which one it was. It was espionage. The doubles, Stan explained, spent months studying home videos to learn how to behave convincingly and use specialist plastic surgeons and makeup artists to perfect their disguises. Pauline encountered these doubles from time to time. On the day her brother got married, for example, she met her father and her aunt for the first time in years. Both, she was told, were the doubles. My mother was so upset at that wedding because her sister was supposed to be a double. Pauline recalls, she kept saying, but look at her toes. Those are exactly Penny's toes. How could you make somebody else's toes look like that? Pauline remembers looking at her dad that day. He had a nevus, a little overgrowth of cells just over the iris of his eye. How on earth could it have been replicated, she wondered. Exactly. But when I said that to Stan, he said, oh, it's contact lenses and there's prosthetics and there's this and there's that. There's always an answer, she says. Pauline and her mother also received dozens of letters from people inside the weird world, from her father and godfather, for example, who were being held in a top-secret prison there, Stan said. The handwriting always looked authentic, and the letters talked about things from their shared past. They were convincing. Who on earth would go to the time to forge them if they weren't real, Pauline wondered. Despite being plagued by doubts, Pauline always had to acknowledge that the two people telling her this incredible story were her mother and Stan, the most trustworthy people she knew. It was a crazy story, and I did have some challenges believing it, she says, but if I couldn't trust them, who could I trust? Trust no one. That's what I always say. Pauline began to feel that her work as a reporter covering school board meetings and town council meetings was irrelevant when her own life was in constant danger, and being sworn to secrecy had placed a gulf between her and her boyfriend and everyone else in her life. I just thought, I can't live like this, Pauline remembers. She decided that she was going to go inside with her mother. Stan told Pauline that there was work inside that she could do, that there was a community of good people there that she could be a part of. He was building a cottage for himself and her mother and said he could arrange for one to be built for her too. He brought her carpet samples and showed her plans and photos of this house. Uh, and Oh, I'm sorry, and a photo of a horse she could have. <laughs> Here, I'm buying you the pony you never got, exactly. right? Exactly. Pauline left her job, sold her house, and broke up with her boyfriend. She moved to Halifax in Nova Scotia, where she found work and a new home while she and her mother waited for word that it was safe to go inside. We were told that it had been threats against family members and that if we were to disappear again, all hell would rain down on anybody left behind, Pauline said. The intelligence gatherers were telling us through Stan that the mob had some sense that we might be planning to disappear, so they were threatening us. We were always on hold. Pauline met Kevin, who would later become her husband. Stan gave Pauline away on her big day. Of course, she couldn't invite her real father, and Kevin was allowed in on the dreadful secret. Kevin agreed he would go inside, too. Mm -hmm. But the time was never right. 
By 1993, five years after she had been let into the secret, Pauline's doubts had reached a climax. I was at war with myself, and I wanted to find some definitive way to prove it right or wrong, she says. Pauline decided to set up a sting at a time she knew Stan was visiting her mother. I called her and said, somebody's broken into my house. What should I do? Pauline's mother replied, I'll ask our friend and call you back. Stan had made it clear to Pauline and Ruth that they must never go to the police to report any of the threats and strange going-ons in their life. The police, he said, couldn't be trusted. If there was ever any trouble, they should come to him, and he would let them know if he got word on any plots that put them in danger. He had a special contraption implanted in his wallet for receiving messages. (laughs) It would do a Morse code dash and dot messages, and he would then take out a little notepad and decipher it, Pauline says. Ruth called Pauline back a few minutes later. I was terrified because it was the moment that I was going to get to answer to this horrible quandary I'd been living with, she says. Ruth said she couldn't talk on the phone. Pauline must go to the house immediately. Once there, Pauline listened, horrified, as Ruth and Stan told her that two people had been picked up just down the street from her house earlier that day that had uh, photographs of her. They had been following her and were looking for certain things in her house. When she said that, I knew the whole thing was a hoax, Pauline says, because there had been no break-in. I made it up. That was the moment I knew all of those severed relationships, all of the crazy running, all the strangest. It was all a lie. Pauline was so shell-shocked and angry, it was a week before she could confront her mother. When she did, Ruth was horrified and upset, but not because she believed Pauline's accusations against Stan— what worried, her, what worried her was that if Pauline no longer believed the story, she would be putting herself in danger. When Pauline confronted Stan, he told her there must have been a mistake. The report about the men who had been picked up after searching her house must have been incorrect. There would be an investigation, he assured her. My memory of that night is how sad he was, she says. I was no longer one of them. Pauline spent months trying to convince her mother that Stan had been lying to them. While her mother tried to convince Pauline she was wrong, they reached the standoff. I was furious and resentful, and I thought I hated Stan for a long time, Pauline says, but I finally decided that my mother was not in on this. Stan was making it up, but I couldn't think why he would have done it. In her search for an answer, Pauline went to see a psychiatrist. I said, what do you think this could be? He's clearly not schizophrenic. He does not appear to be psychotic. He's a professional and well-respected. People always talk about what a great guy he is. What could be going on? Now I'm going to pause here. What do you think it is in your professional opinion? What's going on here? My first instinct was paranoid schizophrenic. Because John Nash was, and he was still a professor and respected in this field. So it's not always so disorganized. Yeah. Also, delusional disorder, which can present as, and we you know, very normal. That's the only thing that's off. And people with delusional disorder, as we know, because of the Trump family I did, you can have shared delusions. So then I could... Let me ask you, what is that called in, in French? How do they say it? Folie à doigt. There you go. A psychiatrist suggested that it sounded like a case of folie à doigt. Yes, shared delusional a disorder. A syndrome in which symptoms of a delusional belief are transmitted from a dominant personality, Stan, to a less dominant personality, Ruth. Pauline and her father, Warren, reconnected after many years, but he was by now quite ill with emphysema, and he started drinking again. I thought about telling him, Pauline says, but then I thought it would enrage him, and that would be no good for him. I just didn't think there was anything to gain from it. Pauline's relationships with her mother, uh, relationship with her mother was never entirely recovered, though it improved when Pauline started a family. 
When I had children, things changed, Pauline said, because they became focused for all of our love. Ruth developed cancer, which eventually killed her in 2010, but she spent the last nine months of her life living with Pauline. I hadn't fully forgiven her at that point, but we both knew that we were out of time of sort for this. Pauline says we had to find some place of peace, and eventually we did. Ruth never stopped uh, believing Stan's story, even after his death when the letters from the weird world dried up. There were no more messages but the activities of the mafia, of the activities of mafia, there couldn't really be any doubt it had been a figment of his imagination. Shortly before she died, she tried to warn me to be careful, Pauline record, recalls. I said to her, I don't need to be any more careful than anybody else. And she said, oh, Polly, if you don't believe this, how you must have hated me. And I said, no, I didn't hate you. I've been really angry at you, but I do love you. Four years ago, still trying to understand why Stan had concocted the elaborate hoax, Pauline came across an article in a medical journal about a condition called Shared delusional disorder. Very good. As I read this article, I thought this completely describes Stan, somebody who is in every respect normal and competent, but has this crazy delusion, she says. Pauline contacted the author of the paper, a psychiatrist at Harvard University. He was very excited to hear her story. Stan had all the hallmarks of a person with delusional disorder, he said. Another academic, the leading expert on disorder, agreed. Finding a reason for what Stan did to her family may have helped Pauline come to terms with her past, but it can't ever repair the damage he did to their lives. I feel very sad for my mother, Pauline says. She had such a difficult life and she was vulnerable to Stan, most, mostly because he was a gentle and caring guy. Too bad he had this terrible delusion. But I also feel sad for myself and my brother, two little kids whose lives were hijacked. That is a very yeah, intricate Crazy. delusion. Usually the delusions are a bit... Dude, Simpler? he like he went all in on it. Like, it, I think so. This is why, because if it's delusional, do you actually go out of your way to create? That's that, what I was gonna say. That's the schizophrenic part, well, right? That's also just the lying part too. Like, it feels more like the schizophrenic part, like I don't the know. part where he's getting messages to give them. Like that's delusional. That's delusional. But oh, the okay. part where he's forging documents to write to them. Like that, maybe for him, seem... it, maybe it made him feel like he was going to keep them safe if he did that. Maybe he had know? he had some reasoning in his brain, I guess. But that's what made me think it can't be like. What was he doing for those few years when they were told to stay on hold while he was in this living away in this this community? What was he doing there? I don't know. Trying to figure out how he could get through. I'd be <laughs> interested the rest to of this find delusion it. now because there's no community. So he's like, "What the hell now? I don't know." Yeah, that is. Like such a long term delusion and so intricate. I've never heard anything like that. Normally people have these, but they get caught like pretty quick and get put into treatment. Like the fact that he Well, it wasn't caught. That's the that's thing. That's the thing. Because, Nobody figured it out. And then she shared in it, you know, the the wife ended up sharing in it. So not only was it that, and then it became the other phenomena where it's the shared delusion now. Well, right? Yeah, still, but that's even more likely to be caught. Mm. Yeah, right. Because what happens with friends? Well, I guess he, they separate, right? They sever them because they're doubles. Don't talk to them anymore. Yeah, he had a reasoning. So there's part of this that does seem definitely shared delusional disorder. And I think that's what was happening with the mother for sure. Ruth, him. There's some parts that make me think this was all just he wanted to do this. 
Wow. But I don't know without knowing them or no yeah. more details. Yeah. Because of this, because of all this, like that, you know, you can't talk to the doubles and he purposely moved them and got them away. Like that seems almost a little abusive. Yeah. Weird, right? Like, it's controlling crazy. and abusive. That's a crazy story. Here's and one when, of the, oh, sorry, go ahead. And when I did the episode on shared delusional disorder, like the Trump family, I wanted to look up other examples and I never saw this one. I looked up, I found a family in India, like I found other examples, but never saw this one. This is real quick. This is an excerpt from one of the letters he wrote them while he was inside the weird, weird world while they were waiting. Dear R&P, because you can't spell their names. Uh, this has to be a hurried note to you both. Sorry I haven't time to write separate letters. We are so busy with another large group of children that we are taxed to the utmost. I was, wonder, I was uh, wondering, of course, how you both are. Excited, I am sure, about the future, and at the same time, a bit scared or reluctant to leave that world and enter this one. I can understand that, but I can also assure you that it is a wonderful world. Really, not at all confined as you might think it is. Why am I, try why am I typing? Only because my pen is dry. I don't want to go to the office for another one. From rumors I get, UP, Pauline, uh, Pauline, are already being spoiled by your new father, a horse. I think this is great. You are, have been <laughs> spoiled by S for a long time, I think, so you don't need a horse. <laughs> what the shit? Dude, it's, yeah, it's... um. And I'm interested in, like, uh, Pauline's husband, when he was let in on the secret, he didn't say, like, wait, this is weird, like, there's some problems. Or the brother? Yeah. What happened to the brother? Did he know any of this? Did they tell him? Why did they just pick Pauline to tell the story to? Well, we just know her side of it from the BBC thing. Yeah, I know. And it's just an article. It's not super in-depth. But uh, but it's that's, like I said, it's two years ago. So it'd be interesting to see if there's any follow-up on that or what the deal is. That's crazy. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's pretty bizarre. How bizarre. Exactly. Well, folks, thanks so much for listening, Creepers. We appreciate you joining us in the clubhouse. But you're going to have to leave. As always, before you do, make sure you do follow us on social media. Go check out our website, BICBP-radio.com. Check out all the other podcasts on the network. Make sure you support them. Let them know what you think of the shows. Also, when you step out into that world and you see something that's just a bit bizarre, you say, How bizarre? 